Welcome, everybody, back to the FearCast. This is the podcast about anxiety, OCD, and getting your life back. My name is Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed therapist specializing in OCD and anxiety spectrum disorders. Thank you again for joining us for this episode. So to jump right in, in past episodes, we've been talking about various subjects of a taboo nature within OCD. Some of the previous episodes for uh, in this taboo subjects uh, series has been on HOCD, so homosexual OCD. We've also done uh, pedophile OCD or POCD. This episode, we're going to be going over postpartum OCD, otherwise known as PPOCD. Um, so as a brief background about what this is, this is yet another manifestation of OCD in which the person is afraid this is a, a new mother or a new father who is all of a sudden terrified that they're going to cause harm to their newborn baby. Um, and, and this can, broad, uh, to broaden out the term, not just to be someone who's afraid of, uh, or to be to broaden the term to be someone who's uh, not just a new new parent, um, but also perhaps a parent who has um, who's had the child for a while, but has developed this fear of harming their child. And there's going to be a lot of overlap between PPOCD and going to be regular old harm OCD. Um, but just to remember that this is yet another manifestation of OCD. So um, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the symptoms of PPOCD, postpartum OCD. We're going to be talking about um, some of the ways to differentiate it from things like postpartum psychosis, which is uh, one of the huge concerns that a lot of folks with PPOCD do have. Um, and we're also, as per usual, going to be talking about treatments. We're going to be going over specifically CBT for it, cognitive behavioral therapy, and Exposure and Response Prevention, ERP. So two of the main approaches that you'd be doing in treatment if you are someone who has PPOCD. Now, at the very end, by the way, I'm also going to tag on to it a script. So a script is going to be an imaginal exposure, a cognitive exposure, and this is something that you can do that, that helps in the ERP process. So I wrote out a, a sample, an example, um, that, uh, that will likely be triggering to some folks who may have this or harm OCD. With all episodes, listener discretion is advised. Okay, so the first thing we want to go over, as with everything, is that all these different manifestations of OCD that I've been going over in this series and any other manifestation of OCD that I'm going to be talking about in any other episode is just going to be another form of OCD. Okay, what is OCD then? OCD, Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. If you're listening to this, you already know what this is. But as a template, I want everyone to know what that OCD, OCD cycle is. Again, it's not so much important that I'm an expert on OCD. It's important that you become an expert on OCD so that you can identify where you are in the cycle, point it out to yourself, and then know where you are and how you can start working with yourself and pulling back in compulsions. Okay, and knowing the differences between obsessions and compulsions. All right, OCD, here's where it goes. First, Everything that you and I see, hear, think, experience can all be triggers. Everything that can happen inside of us or outside of us can all be triggers to our OCD. It, we see it, it triggers this thought or this feeling that we have. And usually it, the, the obsessive thought that we have, the thing that's been triggered, is this story. It's the story that our brain tells us about what could happen 
in our life in a certain circumstance, or if X, Y, and Z were to happen, or because something has happened, this may happen. So it is occurs as this if-then or what-if kind of proposition. And again, it's this story. So generally speaking, though, this story you and I don't like the outcome of, so it causes us anxiety. Now, from this anxiety, this feeling that we just don't like, it's going to cause us to do something to get rid of it. Because remember, you and I don't want to feel bad. We want to feel good again. So we're going to try to do something to feel good, which is where the compulsion comes in. The compulsion is going to be something that we do inside of us, inside of our brain, inside of our body, or something that we do behaviorally to try to get reassurance that everything's going to be okay. Make sure that that feeling goes away, or otherwise do something that we feel is going to make sure that that story doesn't happen the way that we think it's going to happen. Now, once we've done that, we get relief. We feel better. But the problem is we also reinforce that very thought, the initial what-if thought, because we've made this whole big stinking deal over just a thought or a feeling for sometimes. So that is how that thought cycle or that is how the OCD cycle continues and gets reinforced and gets stronger and stronger over time because we felt safe. And guess what? You and I love safety. So what does that mean for postpartum OCD? Well, the obsessive thought is going to be, again, this story that can this, this story that we're afraid of may happen or that we might do. Now, some of these um, obsessive thoughts might be images of dropping your baby. Thoughts of hitting your baby when she cries. Thoughts of pushing in the soft spot. It can be imagining being unable to help your baby if they're choking. It can be images in your mind about drowning your baby while you're bathing them. It can be, um, it can be images of your baby not breathing, and that can cause this anxiety. It can also be thoughts of shaking your baby. Now, these are just kind of little little thoughts that we might have. And again, it has this story. If I shake my baby, then they'll be hurt, they'll get brain damage, I'm going to jail, my life is over. If it's the thought about um, maybe pushing in the soft spot, and it's also kind of that same story, but again, it tells us this story. It's not just this image. It's what does it mean for me? What does it say about me that this is happening? All right. So what are some compulsions that some folks may do in regards to PPOCD? Well, some compulsions that people would do to, again, try to get reassurance that everything's okay or that nothing bad is going to happen. They might repeatedly check their child's breathing while they're sleeping make sure they're still alive. They might avoid being alone with their own child. They might ask others for reassurances. Hey, do you think I'm going to harm my baby or do you think this is dangerous? Hoping that someone's going to say, ah, you're fine or don't worry about it. Another compulsion is repeatedly reading forums or blogs for info, uh, info and symptoms about what postpartum OCD is or asking for reassurance from folks on those blogs, from other people, uh, about your thoughts and that everything's going to be okay. Now, by the way, I also fully recognize that this very podcast may become compulsive for some people. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but I'm aware that this could happen. But it's the same thing for every other tool that you and I can do in OCD or anxiety land, is that a good thing can also become a bad thing. All right, what are some other compulsions that people can do? Well, they can ask if they can ask for reassurances that giving their child this various food is going to be okay. They may avoid items that could harm their child, such as knives or heavy objects or pillows, um, especially while holding the baby. So really just almost any item we can use, but this person just for uh, safety purposes might just try to avoid some things. 
Another compulsion may be having a spouse or another family member bathe the child for them, or just avoiding doing it at all until someone else is present. So again, these are just some examples. I'm going to miss some, but this just kind of gives you an idea. Another obsession, this is kind of a secondary obsession that some folks might have within uh, postpartum OCD, is this worry that they've snapped that they have gone crazy, and therefore that they are going to harm their child in some sort of way. Now, this fear is kind of common, especially when you hear stories about uh, about new parents harming their child or putting them in you know tremendous danger. Um, you sometimes will hear these stories, or you know, read them. They'll, they'll, they'll pop up on the news from time to time. That um, you know, the headline something like um, "New mother went crazy, uh, drowned their child because they thought the devil was uh, manifest within them," or it might be something like um, they thought their child was uh, uh, dangerous. So they took matters into their own hands and killed the child just to protect themselves and other people. Something to this effect. Now, these stories are salacious and exciting, and, uh, and they get a lot of attention. Now, the popularity of, the, of these stories, the misinterpretation of the meaning and significance of these thoughts and feelings, and also the thought-action fusion that comes along with the thoughts can be tremendously overwhelming. So I just briefly want to go over just a, a cursory description of what the difference is between postpartum OCD is and postpartum psychosis. So with postpartum OCD is that the person who experiences these thoughts are made incredibly anxious by them. They resist the thoughts. They perform compulsive behaviors to neutralize the fears or to gain a kind of that false sense of reassurance and safety you know, that everything's going to be okay. And also these thoughts go against who they are at their deepest, most firmly held moral beliefs. Again, these are ego dystonic thoughts. So how does that differ from postpartum psychosis? So with postpartum psychosis, these thoughts are kind of seen as a good idea and they're not resisted or they're not, they're not resisted in the same manner as with postpartum OCD. Within postpartum psychosis as well, these thoughts are often delusional and they, they're of a bizarre nature. These beliefs are of a bizarre nature. And and the violent or dangerous behavior that they're going to do in response isn't seen as something they need to avoid, but is actually seen as a reasonable response, or again, a, a good idea on what this person ought to do. So again, those are just two very brief descriptions of what those two are. So why do people even have these thoughts? In other words, what are the causes of PPOCD? What are the causes of postpartum OCD? Well, there, there are a couple theories out there, and I'll just go over two of them. One's going to be the biological theory. One's going to be more of a psychological one. So the biological one is that within, especially, well, within especially the mother, um, is that, that during birth is that there's going to be this, there's a tremendous amount of hormones going on. There's a lot of changes that are happening. So some of the biggest hormones that are at play, oxytocin and progesterone. And these could certainly impact the serotonin levels, which, as we all know, is that serotonin is, is a, a large contributor to OCD. Um, however, one of the problems with this model is that, uh, or this theory of it, is that it, it, it doesn't account for fathers getting similar symptoms. They might not have, or they're not going to have a, as much of a biological change. So, which leads to the other option, which is a psychological one. Now, this is the one that I more or less agree with. And the psychological one is this, is that you and I have weird thoughts, and you and I have scary thoughts, 
And the violent thoughts and the harm-related thoughts that one has towards their child is actually common just across the board in both new mothers and new fathers or even old mothers and old fathers. It's just we all have violent thoughts. However, with postpartum OCD, once that starts, these thoughts are often misinterpreted as a genuine desire. Again, misinterpreted as a genuine desire, as an inevitable action on their part, or reflecting some sinister, some, something kind of deep down and sinister about the person's true character. Again, there's a misunderstanding this person's having, but they're misunderstanding and misinterpreting a natural and kind of common thought that you and I are probably going to have at some point. So treatment for postpartum OCD is going to be the same as any other type of OCD that you and I are ever going to talk about. It's going to be cognitive behavioral therapy and exposure and response prevention. The goal of treatment here is to devalue the importance of these thoughts and to give them as little of our active attention as we possibly can and to work towards a position of embracing the thoughts as just one, uh, just one in another in a long line of nonsense that our brain is going to give us. Consider this, is that you have worked really hard. If you are someone who's experienced these thoughts, you have worked really hard to find proof that you aren't a violent person, and that you would never actually harm your child. That despite all this effort, it usually only gives you a momentary sense of relief, but then the resurgence of this anxiety, an increase of the anxiety, uncertainty, frustration, and just constant feared thoughts, or just continuation of the feared thoughts, really. So despite your best efforts, it hasn't worked. So again, we are going to try to do something different. Okay. What is cognitive behavioral therapy then? So CBT, cognitive behavioral, it's going to be thoughts and it's going to be behaviors. So really it's going to be, we're looking at the thoughts that you and I have, because remember everything that you and I think about, everything that we feel is going to be neutral, neither good nor bad, right nor wrong. It just kind of is. So we're going to look at the thoughts and if we can take the thought that we're having and seeing if we can reinterpret it, if we can think about your thoughts in a different way. Now, if we can think about the thoughts in a different way, we can likely do something about it in a different way. So that's where we're going to start, is first by reevaluating the thoughts that we're having. We do that by challenging the legitimacy of these feared thoughts. And again, this is going to be slightly different than the reassurance seeking that sometimes you've, you've gone into. A lot of folks who have anxiety just across the board is, are naturally going to look for reassurances to see that everything's going to be okay. One of the big differences between someone who has OCD or anxiety and someone who does not is the person who does not is going to hear the, the reassurance or can hear information and go, oh, Okay, well, then I guess I'm fine. Whereas the person with anxiety and kind of a ruminative sort of anxiety is going to stick with that, is going to stick with that fear and say, well, yeah, but maybe they don't know, or they're going to discount that thought, or they rather discount that information they just got. They might also just continue to ask more information. They might say, well, maybe they said no to this, but what about this other bit of information? So it's going to keep going on and on. But in treatment, one of the first and most common things to do is to normalize the thoughts, to normalize the feelings, um, and kind of the reactions that uh, reactions to the world that, that you and I all have. Essentially to say, a lot of the thoughts that you and I have are, are normal, that they're not necessarily awful and terrible, or and they certainly don't make you awful and terrible necessarily for having them. They're just thoughts. Now, some of you out there are saying, Kevin, you're giving your listeners reassurances, and reassurances is a big four-letter word in, uh, in OCD world. Please know that in treatment, 
reassurances are going to taper off pretty quickly. And this is going to differ from therapist to therapist, and this is going to differ from uh, person to person. But generally speaking, we give some people some reassurances at the very beginning of treatment to kind of build up this firm basis before we jump off and do these terrible exposures. But they're going to taper off pretty quickly after the beginning of treatment. One of my colleagues calls them one-and-done reassurances. So I'll give you this one reassurance, and that's the last time you're ever going to hear me say a reassurance like that. Furthermore, one of the aspects about CBT is called cognitive restructuring. It's, again, reevaluating the importance of your thoughts. And to a lot of folks, this is going to be reassuring. It's going to be looking at some of the thoughts that you're having, the experiences that you're having, and providing more evidence and kind of grounded basis for uh, 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 what they actually mean or what they most likely mean, things like that. But again, these reassurances are kind of part of the process. For example, it's kind of unrealistic, and frankly, it's it's actually kind of mean, uh, to start treatment with someone who's brand new to OCD therapy or anxiety therapy, who, who has never gone through this process before, who, you know, 10 minutes before they walk in my office already think that they're they're crazy and, and actually violent and actually going to harm someone, uh, and to start them with Olympic-level exposures. For example, someone might come in and say, uh, hey, Kevin, uh, you know, I'm having severe daily thoughts about drowning or smothering my baby. And then I'm going to say, you know what, you probably will. In fact, you're an unfit mother that causes harm to everyone you meet. And in fact, you're incapable of giving and undeserving of love. Sounds pretty harsh, right? So we're not going to start with that. One of the ways we might challenge these thoughts, again, is to look at some facts. One of the facts that's really important is uh, in, in, in doing research for this, um, for this episode, um, one article reported that up to 80% of new mothers have, quote, nasty, senseless, unacceptable, unwanted thoughts that are similar to those described by mothers with postpartum OCD. So, 80% of new mothers had the thoughts that were similar to those who have postpartum OCD. In other words, these thoughts are pretty normal. The vast majority of new parents are going to have those thoughts. Now, this is where I get to share my story. So, so I have not been treated with OCD. However, I do have, as we've talked about, a lot of intrusive thoughts, and I, uh, and, and I, um, I have all sorts of other anxieties. But being a new dad, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd worked with OCD for years before this, but I was a new dad, and a week into having our, our, our little girl at the house, it's, you know, like 11 at night and we're tired and, and the baby's freaking out and we're trying to get her to go to sleep and I'm just holding her and all of a sudden I get this thought of shaking her and I get this image of just shaking her and I went, that's really stinking weird. And all of a sudden it hit me, oh, this is like something that someone with postpartum OCD would experience. Now, again, it's nice that I've been doing this for many years, but it was the shock that, yeah, I got this thought. And in that moment, there was this sense of, huh, I, yeah, this kind of makes sense because my brain saw a problem, screaming baby, and it went through all the different iterations of things that I could do to try to get this child to stop crying. Uh, one of them was bounce them gently. One of them was uh, try to make silly faces or make silly sounds or sing a song, and one of them was shake them, and another one was going to be uh, bounce on a ball with them. That was going to be all these different options, but my brain went, yeah, why not this one? This one's going to, this one's really going to, I, I don't know, leave a mark to use a bad phrase there. But it was shocking even to me. So it's very common that people would have these thoughts. Now, another way that we can start to challenge these thoughts is, again, reflecting on your history of thoughts and perhaps of the history that you have OCD. 
You can reflect on the typical behavior you have around other children. You can think about evidence for or against your catastrophically violent behaviors or violent impulsivities. You can also reflect on your historical intentions and character. And I'll also remind everybody, in doing this, repeatedly doing this, can certainly be compulsive. Again, if you're, if you're reminding yourself of this in order to bring down the anxiety, you're doing a compulsion and stop it. However, if you're doing this as a basis to give yourself permission to have this thought, that's a different story, and I'll encourage you to chat with your therapist about that. Now, I want to give a brief example about one way that, one way that we can challenge these thoughts and one of the thoughts that, can, that, that is pretty common uh, with, with postpartum OCD. Um, and it's also a problem where trying to give ourselves reassurances is actually going to be reinforcing the very nature of the thought and the presence of the thought. So one of the ways you can start out with is perhaps having a thought about harming your child, just kind of a basic thought which will sometimes lead to rumination about whether you truly want your baby to die. And in the process of doing this, this rumination, you're going to have, you're going to build evidence within yourself because you're going to start reminiscing on times before the baby, when you had all this free time, when you had all these free finances, when you had fewer responsibilities, when your body hasn't changed with your, in, in your relationship and your sex life was freer. And you might find yourself dreaming about those days, and then, boom, the OCD latches onto that and says, see, you are dreaming about those old times. Clearly, you do want your baby to die so that you can have freedom again. Now, you've gone back and forth with this and have tried to prove to yourself that, no, I do love my baby. And then you're going to have the thought, well, yeah, but you were reminiscing about how much you loved your life before the baby. So therefore, you probably do want them to die. And you say, no, 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 but I actually do love my baby. I went through the whole process and, and we wanted the baby. We had the baby shower, blah, 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 blah. This whole process that's, that's, that's ultimately not helpful. But both sides can be true. One, that you can, in fact, love your baby. And you can, in fact, miss the freedom and the carefree quality of your life pre-baby. Both of these things can be true, and we can hold those two things in tension. Because remember, you've had these thoughts hundreds of times, and yet you haven't actually killed your baby, remember? You've also responded to these thoughts with anxiety, and you rationally, in your most rational sense of thinking, you don't want to do it. You might say, you know, historically, I haven't been violent, and especially if I haven't been violent towards children. And yes, the problem is, you do want your free time, and you do want less responsibility, but you knew that that was part of parenthood, and these times are just a phase. But you know what? Rationally speaking, though, we could be losing our ever-loving mind, we can snap, and we can harm our child. So we also have to recognize that as a fact, which leads me to ERP, Exposure and Response Prevention. And remember, the goal with this is to work towards resisting compulsions and having having the thought and anxiety, just kind of allowing that to be there. In pursuing the exposures, we need to be considering what you're actually afraid of and addressing that. So some of the fears might be worrying that others are going to reject you, that your life is going to be ruined, that your spouse is going to reject you, that you'll be arrested and spend the rest of your time in jail, that you're actually going to harm your child, um, that, you, uh, uh, that, you harmed, or that you harmed your own moral character, or that you had bad moral character. Some people might be afraid that others may no longer trust you, or that you are no longer trustworthy, um, or that you are truly untrustable and that you are 
appallingly selfish and want to kill this, this harmless child. It could be a gazillion different things, but you should consider what is it that you are actually afraid of. Now, basic rule of thumb in ERP is to be holding back on the compulsions. Again, it's two parts, exposure and response prevention. The response prevention is the compulsion, so it's the exposure. Progressively getting closer to the things that you're afraid of, so doing the things that you're afraid of, and two, holding back on the compulsions. If you only did one of those two things, I want you to do the the response prevention part. I want you to resist compulsions, because that's what's reinforcing the whole cycle. Life is gonna give you enough exposures. You don't necessarily need to do exposures to make progress. However, you should do exposures in order to make tremendous progress. That is a fine line right there. But if you only did one, if you didn't actively do ERP, do the RP part, holding back on the compulsions. And as a rule of thumb with doing ERP, especially for this, is that we want to be doing the complete opposite of what our compulsions are. When we take stock of all the compulsions that we're actually doing, of avoidance, of reassurance seeking, of compulsive prayer, of, of going online. We want to say, all right, what is that trying to accomplish? Now, how can I just do the complete opposite of it? So as some examples, practice being with your baby alone for increasingly long periods of time. You can wash your baby by yourself with someone in the room, but then eventually work towards washing your baby alone. You can move the couch pillows progressively closer to you while you're sitting with and holding your baby. You can leave a pocket knife in your pocket while you're holding your baby. You can say feared words aloud when you're around your child. You can say, kill, stab, drop, choke. You can, you can look him in the eye and say these things. You can... I don't know if y'all can hear this, but as I'm recording this, um, my baby is trying to go to sleep and now she's crying. So I'm... I'm probably not killing her, but I don't know. Who knows? Um, Another thing you can do is you can resist asking others for reassurance. Just hold back. If you feel the urge to ask, hold back and sit with that discomfort. Also, if you're reading for reassurances in in comparison to other mothers who have actually harmed their child or who have had... um, uh, uh, postpartum psychosis, resist reading those articles um, about, resist reading those articles about PPOCD or psychosis. If you find yourself reading articles for reassurance and or comparison, in other words, comparing yourself uh, to, to mothers who have actually harmed their child or uh, who have POCD and just kind of comparing, okay, do I have these same things or do I, um, you know, am I more like the PPOCD folks or am I more like the postpartum psychosis folks? Um, in kind of reading articles about parents who have actually killed their kid, um, You want to stop doing that, resist doing that, because that's not going to really get you anywhere. You and I will always find a comparison between you and somebody else. We're creative. We can come up with something. Conversely, if you're avoiding reading these articles, read them. It's going to raise anxiety, but read them. All right, which brings me to scripting. This is, as we talked about before, an imaginal exposure, and this is one of the tools in the toolkit of an OCD therapist that you are likely to do. And these things can be really helpful. This approach can be really helpful when you're you're faced with something that you can't reasonably do or you can't really ethically do. Now, when you're doing exposures with somebody, it's important to work with a therapist uh, who can devise appropriate exposures that challenge and check your consideration of what is and is actually not dangerous. 
as a tip, you're going to want to avoid getting into this battle of, well, isn't that really dangerous? Or, but I can actually harm my child doing this. There does involve a little bit of risk and a little bit of trust in this process and trusting your therapist. Again, you're going to be starting with smaller things and working your way up. But you can also consider in this process what you'd be willing to do and what you'd be willing to challenge yourself to do today. Now, now if you're not willing to do the exposure assigned, it's possible you're already starting at exposure that's just too high uh, on your hierarchy and you actually need to do something else. You can also perhaps need to start with an imaginal exposure. Starting with an imaginal exposure can be a nice kind of firm ground to start building yourself up to actually doing an in vivo, a real life exposure. The other alternative is that perhaps you just aren't ready to give up on your compulsions and avoidances and you aren't ready for treatment at this time. Now, again, that's something to be chatting with your therapist about and something to be honest with yourself about. Okay, now getting back to imaginal exposures. These are used when exposures can't be done reasonably or practically or ethically. Now, here's what it is. Essentially, it's this. It's, it's you're writing a story about your worst fear actually coming true. And you're writing it in first person and in present tense. Now, it can be as long or as short as you really want it to be, so long as it's actually addressing your worst fear coming true. And these stories should raise your anxiety. Now, as you're reading it, or as you're writing it, rather, you're holding back on doing those compulsions, giving yourself reassurances, saying that everything's going to be okay, things like that. And you can think about it as three parts to address your fear. The first part is setting the scene. So where are you? What's happening? Two, something happens. And then three, what's the outcome? What has it happened and how has it messed up your life? So I'm going to read a brief example of a script. Now, again, this is the part that may be triggering for some folks. So if you're not prepared to listen to this, that's totally fine. And you can stop it right here, probably skip ahead a little bit. But I want to go through an example of, uh, of a script about harming a child and be seen as an incompetent and neglectful person and father. So I'm writing this from my perspective. So as a dad, today's my day to watch the baby. While my wife is at work, I try to not let my days be a total unproductive loss. So I go to the store for a quick Costco run. I put the baby in the car as I'm supposed to. I pull down the window shades and I go to the store. While there, I realize that I only, need, I only need a few things, so I figure I don't need to take her out of the car and to put her in the carrier while there. I'll just zip in and zip out before anybody notices. Though it's a hot day here in Southern California, the car feels cool enough. So I lock the car and I run into the store. I immediately run to grab the things I need. I get sidetracked, unfortunately, by a few things, waiting in line for some samples, I remember that I'm supposed to get my baby. I get in line, which goes longer than intended. As I'm walking out, I look at my watch, and it's been an hour and a half. I run to the car, only to see it surrounded by people and paramedics. As I get closer, I see the paramedics trying to resuscitate my baby. One of the paramedics shakes his head and says, she's dead. Suddenly, the police arrest me. My wife comes to see me at the police station, and she has that face that says that she's disappointed angry and knew that I would do something like this one day. I'm convicted and sent to prison where I spent years getting beaten by other prisoners for killing a child, let alone my child. My family doesn't come to visit me and I never get a letter from anyone I know other than a letter finalizing my divorce with a note that says good riddance. I eventually get released, but I'm never the same. 
Nobody wants to get to know me, and it seems that everyone just knows that I'm untrustworthy around children. I eventually die alone after years of torturous replaying that day at Costco and what I would have done differently. Now, that story was short and to the point. It could have been longer. I mean, it could have been a heck of a lot shorter as well. But after reading that story, it may be triggering, again, to some folks, and it may be raising your anxiety. And if it did, good, that's an exposure. Now, do I want any of this to happen? Of course not. Could it happen? Sure. But the point is to be reading this story and then rereading this story over and over and over again until you are completely bored with the concepts in it. You can also audio record it, just like you're hearing here, and listening to it over and over and over again until you are completely bored with these ideas. All right, so right here at the very end, I just kind of want to go over some other information. I want to talk a little bit about the stigma that we have about these thoughts. So as we talked about, these thoughts are remarkably common to every new mother and father. However, parents don't usually share these thoughts with one another for fear that they're going to be seen as anything other than a loving, pure-hearted, and unwavering nurturer. The awareness of the thoughts, just even knowing that they have these thoughts, leads to this misinterpretation that they're bad and reveal this deep-down character flaw. Oftentimes, then, that leads them to further isolation. And when we're more isolated, we pile on this pressure to ourselves. We kind of maintain, we, 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 work, we work like hell to try to maintain this facade that everything's okay, I'm totally fine and strong and loving and nurturing, but inside we're just, we're just crumbling, we're terrifying, we're never getting the validation that we really are okay and normal like everyone else. And it usually leads further to confirming that their greatest fears are true, and they further just pile on that condemnation and shame. Just that, that's one of these cycles that happens. Now, some folks out there who are listening to this are more than happy to share their experience with other people and to tell them everything about what's going on and that they're not going to do it. Now, these folks are doing this, or some folks are doing this, for reassurance-seeking. Now, I'm going to say this. It needs to stop. You need to stop the cycle of reassurances and instead sit with your uncertainty that you might do it and hold back those confessions, the reassurance seeking, the online searching, and the neutralizing thoughts. You likely know the difference between your actions and thoughts that are intentionally trying to reduce your anxiety and make you feel better versus telling others to build awareness and to open discussion about what you're experiencing. If you're doing one to try to bring down your anxiety or try to reassure yourself, resist doing that. Take a risk. Hold on to that feeling. You can survive it. We've all, we can survive all these feelings. Now, if you're afraid of sharing your thoughts with a therapist or a loved one, share this podcast with them. You can even have them read an article on postpartum OCD. And I'll actually link some of these episodes um, on, the, uh, on the page for this at uh, fearcastpodcast.com. There's a, there's a lot of great resources out there, and you can actually share this with this person. Now, if you're thinking of sharing with somebody, you want to consider... You want to consider who's a safe person, who really knows you, and who do you trust? Now remember, they, there may not be a perfect person, um, but think of someone who generally has been kind to you, has been empathetic, who's even-keeled and supportive. 
And you don't need to lay out everything all at once when you're sharing this with someone. You don't need to tell them all the deepest details and the, 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 the images and all this stuff at, stuff at once. You can really just start with something like, hey, after you had your kiddo, did you ever have like crazy and scary thoughts? Oftentimes someone's going to say, yeah, I totally had that. Or if this person, again, who you trust might say, tell me about him. What's going on? And it opens this conversation to help validate that these aren't the scariest and worst thoughts. And most importantly, you're not alone. Simply talking about these fears and acknowledging their existence can be a huge help in reducing the distress you're feeling and also opening the door for you to rethink the thoughts and to come to that acceptance that you're not a monster and you're highly unlikely to do the things your thoughts say. Thanks so much for listening to this episode on postpartum OCD. If you have further questions about postpartum OCD or to want to add to something that perhaps I might have missed in this episode, uh, please feel free to message me uh, over at fearcastpodcast.com. Uh, you can also share your postpartum OCD experience through the website or even by calling me and leaving me a voice message at 714-594-9281. Remember that you get to pick the name that you want to use if it's read on the episode. So it is anonymous if you want it to be. So it doesn't have to be your exact name. Now, if after listening to this episode, you're still worried about whether or not the content of your thoughts are real, talk with your therapist about them. Or you can you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can click on the find help link there and uh, learn a little bit more about how to get connected with a therapist who understands POCD or understands OCD uh, and may be able to help. Please remember, as always, the Fearcast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you're having questions about getting into therapy or would like a little bit of more support in your own treatment, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and go to that find help link um, and uh, hopefully find some good resources there. All right, everybody, as always, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.